0: We said we'd get here eventually, and here we are. We're going to be talking about Thrawn, the novel Thrawn by Timothy Zahn.
1: A refreshing book for my Star Wars experience. I suppose the whole book kind of just reminds me of like how, like, you know, like, Charlotte Holmes is written or something like that.
0: No one in Star Wars has ever spoken to the Emperor like that. Tarkin then says Governor Price, and I was like,
1: oh yeah, that's one of the deadest trim.
0: Hello there, and welcome to episode 35 of Life Invaders Castle. Um, as always, I'm your host, Dan McQuarrie, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Lee. How you doing, John?
1: Hello there. Yeah,
0: not too, not too bad, Dan. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Episode 35. That's another another milestone number. Huge. What a win. What a win. Exactly. We're, we're
1: plowing through <laughs> these these digits. We'll be at 50 before we know it. Exactly. Yeah. We we're getting ever closer to that, um to that milestone. every, every week, obviously. <laughs> that's
0: that's how it works.
1: <laughs> How's the festivities in your house then? They they're they begun
0: yet? Um I wouldn't so much say the festivities have begun. We don't have the tree up or anything like that. We are a bit of a late tree putting up sort of house. Um but I am I am enjoying my, my daily advent calendar antics. So um that's been fun, that's keeping me in the festive mood. What about you?
1: Uh, well, to a fair, actually, my mum has let you put out the Christmas decorations uh, in the house as we speak. So the festivities are slowly rising by the hour uh, <laughs> of this day as the house gets more and more Christmassy.
0: Yeah, I've been uh, I've been enjoying my Lego Star Wars advent calendar every day. So I haven't opened today's one yet. I'll be doing that straight after we finish this podcast. Um, but I got a nice little Stormtrooper mini fig yesterday, which I was quite happy about. So we'll see what I've got next in my Advent
1: calendar later on. Yeah, I know that. Those quite cool, actually. Star Wars Advent calendar. Yeah, it's been I've, fun. I didn't get one in time. I just forgot about it. And then obviously they sold out, as they always do every year. Just, like, being,
0: yeah, just being able to get a little Star Wars thing every day. It's been a real joy. And then I've also got a beer advent calendar, so I have a beer whilst I make my my Lego. So (laughs) it's a good combination, to be honest. Yeah, that's a good combination. To be fair, you can't you can't beat it. Yeah, the only thing I'm missing is a chocolate one, so I could have beer, chocolate, and Star Wars sort of as a as a triple. But um, it's fine;
1: I'll survive. Uh, I've just got a chocolate one. I think I to be fair, we just got like a family one for the house, like a really big one. Oh, Um, and I haven't actually opened it any of the days yet because I try to, to get up and just like get up get dressed and then go to work like I don't really faff about in the morning so I just forget to do it every morning so. just
0: missing the Christmas cheer
1: yeah yeah that's that's me <laughs> But uh, you know I'm
0: um, harmless plug if you're wanting to keep up with my advent calendar uh antics I am uh, I am posting what I get out of the advent calendar on our Instagram story at Life Invaders Castle. So if you're not following us over there, please do and you can enjoy the festive Christmas cheer with me every day as I f- open <laughs> the Lego Star Wars advent calendar.
1: A good plug there. I've been enjoying the the, the Christmas calendar over the last three days.
0: So, exactly. Yeah,
1: if if John enjoys it then you'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> we've got, a,
0: so we've it got an exciting episode today as well. Our long Long awaited book club episode.
1: Yeah, long awaited. I mean, I think I I definitely underestimated just how uh <clears throat> how thick this book was and just how how many words are still on the page.
0: Yeah. It's it's a big it's a big book. It's uh definitely like page count. I think it was 470 by the time you actually got to the end of the book, but like words per page is definitely more than your standard Star Wars book as well. So this is definitely uh an undertaking which took us a while i'm pretty sure our last book club episode was about two months ago which our master apprentice won so uh, it has taken us a little while longer but we said we'd get here eventually and here we are we're going to be talking about thrawn the novel thrawn by timothy zahn which is the first of the canon thrawn novels uh, the first in a trilogy of imperial thrawn stories um and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next hour or so diving deep into this uh this book which i imagine you've probably enjoyed as much as i have john
1: yeah i have actually I've, i thought it was it's just actually just a very good um a very good like adult story it was very wordy in places but with just like lots of detail in the book and i think it, it did a really good job of like fleshing out the characters um in it, and I, I wasn't actually sure when I was reading it. Like, I couldn't remember off the top of my head if it was like canon or not. So, I'm glad you just said that. I probably could have just googled it, but I was like, uh, I'm sure I'll find out at some point. Yeah, um, it's all okay. canon. I know there are, because obviously, I know Thorne is a like, legend's character um, originally, wasn't he? That then um, people brought into the, uh, the canon storyline. So, I wasn't actually sure which like section of uh, lore this, this book's fit in, but I'm, I'm glad to hear it's canon because it's uh, the events in this, this book are very, very entertaining.
0: Yeah, so Timothy Zahn, who wrote this book, he wrote the original um, Legends trilogy of, well, they, they call it the Thrawn trilogy, but he was the villain of those books. And then obviously Luke, Leia Han, sort of your main characters as well, um, and then wrote a couple of extra Legend Thrawn books. And then when the new canon started, I imagine when Dave Filoni decided to use Thrawn in Rebels, they probably turned around to Timothy, Timothy Zahn and said do you want to write more books about Thrawn and he was probably like hell yeah because he's written another six (laughs) Um, well another five including this one so six Um, so he clearly likes writing Thrawn stories and I imagine he's probably going to keep on writing more Thrawn stories because he seems to love it so it is indeed canon and um, acts as like a really good prequel to Rebels at the same time as being just a fantastic Thrawn story at the same time so yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of this book. This is the second time I've read it, and um, I enjoyed it just as much this time as I did the first time I read it. So
1: it's been a it's been a pleasure to reread. Yeah, I mean, reading it for the first time now is, is just a. <clears throat> I think it's a refreshing uh, book for for me personally. That the ones I've read in Star Wars, I haven't read that many. Probably like five, including like this one and the Higher Public ones. Um, so I think this this form of like storytelling that um, that we get from Tim- Timothy is uh, I thought, thought it was just very refreshing because um, obviously you can get like especially the young adult ones for the Higher Public and stuff I've read it's very different to those obviously uh, being like an adult novel um, and it just it goes to show that you can literally put your hand to anything in Star Wars um, and it will appeal to someone or you know because the two very different ways of storytelling like some of these books and then some of the Higher Public books or something um, so yeah it's very a refreshing book for my Star Wars experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think Timothy Zahn's got a really unique style of writing, in the sense of like the story is very, um, like really diving in deep to the characters in sort of more so than even the High Republic books, which isn't a criticism on the High Republic books. I love those stories a lot, but they're very much like stories of the era with fantastic characters and everything. Um, but this is really like a, a very deep sort of tight story about Thrawn, you know, primarily. And then obviously Eli Vanto and Arinda Price sort of serve as your other main characters in this story. Um, but it is, it's like the, just the way he writes is very like descriptive very like interesting and um there's a without sort of saying intelligent to suggest that the other books aren't intelligent because they are all intelligent but there is of like a sort of a quite a mature intelligence to the way that it's written and like the way that we have like both Thrawn's like in a monologuing but also like the start of every chapter having sort of a almost like a thrawn quote of him analyzing what it means to be a warrior in various different ways so there is a very specific style to, to Zahn's writing in this book and I he does continue in the other Thrawn books that I have read haven't read all of them to sort of write in that similar style and it is sort of very wordy very descriptive but I don't mean that in a negative way I think it's really rewarding and you learn a lot on every page of the book. It's not like a page can go by and you're like, oh, not much has happened. Like a lot happens on every page and it's, it's very rewarding when it all sort of pays off either at the end of a chapter or at the end of a section of the book or the, at the end of the entire book. So it is definitely a different style to a lot of the other, um, Star Wars books, a much sort of slower, more like thoughtful pace, Um, and I think, you know, my favorite Star Wars books, you know, this is probably one of them and the rising storm is definitely another one. So I can compare the two. They're both phenomenal books, but very, very different. You know, the rising storm is very quick paced and, you know, obviously the characters are really detailed and have really strong arcs, but it moves at a flying pace and like short chapters, whereas this is quite long, chunky chapters, you know, spanning years and years and years, long detail, but none of that is a criticism I yeah I, I really loved how different this book was and ultimately you know it's still it's I still hold it up as one of my definitely in my top five Star Wars books but probably even in my top three I'm a, I'm a big big fan yeah I mean I completely agree
1: with everything you said there everything was um like a lot slower and a bit more purposeful it was definitely trying to focus on the yeah, like the characters and especially the bits of like Thorns in a monologue uh, I thought like fantastic like they just reminded me of like I suppose the whole book kind of just reminds me of like how, like you know, like Sherlock Holmes is written or something like that. You know, just with such it yeah, as you were saying, like mature intelligence story writing. Um, uh, and I think there's, there's so many times where it's written, obviously um, not always from Thrawn's point of view, but from like Eli's. Um, I think there's so many times when like Thrawn's, um, like dialogue is like actually like explaining his intelligence to you through like to Eli. And I think that is so it's so clever to make his character seem so much more um intelligent. And then like obviously Thrawn could have quite easily been like the main point of view from from this book and had most of like the intelligent explaining done to you through like a monologue. But it was quite I thought it was quite cool to have it done um as like basically just like, you know like in the Sherlock Holmes uh tv shows when like he was like explaining how he worked everything out it kind of just reminds me of that with the way like thorn's explaining things to like eli or like testing eli with things so yeah i thought that was that was interesting i um it, it sometimes that's to reread a page because i was like i didn't actually quite get what he was going on about just because i think it went over my head like reading the page too quickly or something so i have to go back and be like ah i get it now this guy's cleverer than me uh oh, fair enough yeah,
0: I think the, the Sherlock the Sherlock Holmes comparison is a hundred percent accurate. He's definitely like the Star Wars version of Sherlock Holmes in this book with his deductions and predictions of his enemies' tactics and that sort of thing. And uh, I, I think you definitely picked up on it. The the way that like he mansplains everything <laughs> to everyone around him is definitely like what Sherlock Holmes does. And I think it works really well for Thrawn because the way that he does it is not really an arrogance thing. It's more like he wants the empire to be as smart as an intelligent as him, and particularly Eli, who sort of, who takes him under his wing and he wants him to be able to come to these deductions as well. But I just think the way that Thrawn is written in this book is like completely fascinating. Like we'll get into his characterization in detail in, in, in just a few minutes. Um But I just think to take a character who for canon you know assuming people don't know anything about legends for canon appears in rebels this book came out after season three but before season four so you know it appears in rebels as this sort of really smart cunning um sort of quite vicious uh, imperial grand admiral who is sort of sent to deal with the rebels the the heroes that show as a villain and then give us a book which actually tells his rise through the ranks of the empire from like his point of view in the empire's front point of view where he is essentially the hero of this story and you know the hero of his own story so i think taking a character like thrawn and telling that sort of story is just a really interesting twist and um I think that's the reason why Thrawn becomes so many people's favorite characters. The more that they like dive into him is because, you know, he's, he is sort of misunderstood in his intentions and his actions sometimes. And there's much more to the blue fella than just sort of nasty grand imperial, uh, grand admiral. Um, But there's actually just a lot more going on there for his you know, his motivations and, um the way he solves problems and that sort of thing. So just learning so much more about that in this book is um it's worthwhile to sort of anyone who's interested in Thrawn as a character or even just the wider
1: Star Wars universe. Yeah, I mean it's like I haven't watched Rebels in a while. I need to actually go back and rewatch it. But just from what I remember, like you kinda just get the vibe that, you know, Grad Amor Thrawn is just like a very smart, intelligent fellow in the in the Imperial Army. Um imperial navy and he's literally just been sent to deal with the rebels and rebels um just for like his motivations to be like this is what i do for the empire sort of thing um not much more into it but this but i think i really like how this book dives yeah as you said like into the motivations of of Thrawn, and it gives him a bit more a bit more depth and not just like he's doing it because he's an imperial and that's what imperials do sort of thing like, there's so much like as you said he was like the hero of this book and you know you you I was rooting for him throughout the book. You know, every time something good happened to him, you know, it was, it was good to read. But then obviously going back and then rewatching Rebels or watching Rebels, you then be like, I don't like this fella, but I liked him in the book. So it's a bit of a, it gives you a strange sense of when, when is the point when I'm like, well, Thorne's a bit of a dick now.
0: Yeah. And it is something that some people have brought up as sort of like a, almost like a miss, um, like an inconsistency, I guess, because very much in this trilogy of Thrawn books, he is like the is the antagon- he's the protagonist of the story. You are rooting for him. And then you get to rebels and he's very much like the bad guy, the villain. Um, and I have, I've seen some people saying that in the newer Thrawn trilogy, which is like a prequel to this um, back when he was in the Chiss ascendancy, it does sort of deal with some of that in the sense of like Thrawn, you know, I think it's very obvious that he he believes in the empire to quite an extent in the sense of like bringing order to the galaxy. And, you know, he, he's against the idea of rebellion and insurgency and um, he doesn't see freedom as freedom. He sees it as chaos. So he, he fits a lot of those tropes that makes an imperial an imperial, which I personally disagree with. Um, but then he has like a... He has a very pragmatic way of dealing with situations where if it lends to it, you know, he tries to solve a situation with minimal casualties. And I think it essentially just becomes of like, in this book, we look at Thrawn through the eyes of Thrawn and the characters around him, as opposed to through the eyes of Ezra and Kanan, um, where they are seeing him as this bad guy. And I think it just, you know, to quote Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's, you know, from a certain point of view, essentially it's, how you see Thrawn. I mean, I think when we probably see him again in live action soon, I think he's probably going to be the villain. Um, but I think there's a lot more to him than just I'm a bad guy. I think you we already know from the beginning of the book that, you know, he wants to join the Empire essentially to um so that they could one day be of benefit to his home world and the emperor has a you know thinks that's going to benefit the empire as well having someone like Thrawn to teach him about the unknown regions but also teach him about the Chiss and battle tactics and that sort of thing so I think his motivations you know could still be seen to be um sort of dark and twisted and for his own personal gain and for the the personal gain of his his home world but just because of the way this book presents it, we do see him as a hero and we do see it as a story where we're rooting for him. And there's definitely a few moments in this book where I was like celebrating. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm just celebrating rebels losing. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> so I think um Zahn writes that like perfectly. And I think it's a it's a real credit to you know being able to tell a story from the point of view of the villains. And humanize them a little bit more but also sort of raise a couple of the reasons as to why they are still villains at their core um even if they're not you know someone like the emperor who's just the ultimate purest form of evil in the galaxy so that's sort of how i see those
1: those um two opposing sort of factions there yeah i think i think personally i didn't i think timothy um really kind of left it up to, like, one of the few final chapters um, where uh, Thrawn was um, chatting to the uh, Nightshade fella. Was not nice one? I can't remember his name. that's just finished. Yeah, the nice one, yeah. Yeah, I knew it knew I was on the right lines. Um, and it's like well, that final chat was, that like, really, I think, where he, he dives well into, like, Thrawn's actual, like, motivations to join the Empire and everything like that. And I think that was really clever to leave it, like, right up to the end where I'd spent, like a few chapters before that really being like really questioning exactly where Thrawn's um morality like lied. Um, you know, it, there was some stuff about like slaves for the Empire and things. And I was just like, surely not. <laughs> you know, and I, I think I was really then questioning where Thrawn like drew the line on sort of things. Um obviously then from our experience in Rebels. And then I think that conversation at the end really helped um solidify just exactly where Thrawn stands and I think that was really, really interesting. I'm actually looking forward to then going back and watching Rebels and then seeing where I can see like that, like where that lines up with what I see in, when I'm watching them in, in, in our Rebels. So I think overall, um, for like the, that bit for Thrawn, I think it was just very clever to keep me guessing the whole book and then finally at the end of it, like lay it all out in front of me. Um, so I think it really helped build up the mystery for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think. You know, if we sort of talk a little bit more about Thrawn, sort of his character within this book um, and sort of his characterization, I mean, this book is very much telling like essentially Thrawn's origin story of how he ended up being Grand Admiral Thrawn of the of the Imperial Navy. Um, this sort of tells a story of when we meet Thrawn at the very beginning of the book, he in like, what is a by the way, an awesome couple of chapters where the um, the the Empire sort of stumbles across um, this sort of encampment with a mysterious figure there, and he basically destroys all of them and sneaks aboard their ship and ends up being thrown, and he manages to get a um, <clears throat> what's the word uh, a, a date with the Emperor, <laughs> basically, um, where by name dropping Anakin Skywalker basically gets himself a job in the, um, in the Imperial Navy. And then throughout this book through a series of like, just you're spanning years and years, but for a series of like successful military operations in which Thrawn successfully deduces um, what the enemy's trying to do, or uses brilliant tactics, he just continues to get promoted further and further up the ranks. There's a lot of involvement in imperial politics. He sort of gets taken under the wing of um, Colonel Yularin of the um, Imperial Security Bureau. He catches the attention of Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, obviously, he's always got the emperor sort of fighting in his corner as well. And through all of that, by the end of the book, for all his successful Sort of fights and all that sort of thing. We see him as Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, and just at the end of this book, we also have Governor Price, um, who is the governor of Lothal in Rebels saying, I have an issue on my planet that I need you to come and sort out, Grand Admiral. And that obviously sets us up that this is sort of the book starts early on in sort of the Imperial reign and finishes just before the start of season three of Rebels. Um, So sort of, did you find that like a story that you were like looking for, like sort of on reflection, is this like something that adds to the experience of Rebels of learning sort of like how Thrawn got to the rank of Grand Admiral, how there ended up being a a non-human Admiral in the, in the empire, this, this blue Chiss, um, is this something that sort of you were you were looking for answers for and are now satisfied with?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely 100%. Which is why I was then worried when I was reading if it was like canon or not because I was, I, I did think that especially towards the end of the book, like, you could really tell it was setting up the um like, interactions then between the Rebels team and uh Thrawn and that like rivalry there. So I, I was really, I was really glad about how we got to that final point, and <clears throat> I think the final. The the whole book itself, I mean, even though it did span, like, years, like, he obviously goes from a lieutenant um, from the Imperial Academy all the way up to Grand Admiral, it spanned years, and there's a lot of different military operations that we get to um, have alongside to as he's doing it in the book. Um, And I really think it did help to explain, you know, as you say, like, how this blue Chiss fellow is uh, suddenly a Grand Admiral in the army. Um and then it links in really well with like Governor Price and like the politics of like the Thor and the area and stuff. Um I think it serves as a very a very um a very good introduction into like season three of um of Rebels without going without just like name dropping people at the at the end of the book, which I was worried about what they were gonna I was worried they were gonna start doing that towards at the end of the book when I was reading it, that suddenly names would start getting dropped and then it'd be like, Oh, that's cool, but then Maybe a bit too much, but I think it it feeds in perfectly for them when uh, in season three when Thrawn was introduced. He still has that air of, I suppose, mystery around him still because obviously you know we we know how he got to that rank and everything from this book, but he's still he's still a mysterious character and and like he's still a character that the rebels. Um, like fresh to like they haven't met him before and I think if they started name dropping people in this book it would have kind of taken away from like the, their surprise factor of coming across such a strategic and um, unique villain within their empire.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think they just this is something that I completely wasn't expecting when I first read the book was that the character that Timothy Zahn would sort of use to be the bridge to rebels was um, Governor Price And I was surprised that this ended up also sort of being like a a Renda Price origin story as well as a a Thrawn one. And I thought that was like a really natural way to like tell that story of how like he got himself to the situation we see at the beginning of season three. And I mean, at some further in the podcast, we'll get into Price more specifically because there's a lot of really interesting stuff that went on with her character. But I think using that and using that connection between Thrawn and her, sort of throughout this book made a lot of sense instead of just, as you were saying, just doing some random name drops at the end and being like, oh, by the way, there's this person called Kanan running about, go sort him out. You know, there's there's, it's more organic to the story. So I really like that aspect and, yeah, I completely agree. I think um, I was instantly sort of quite captivated by Thrawn when I watched Rebels and that was one of the reasons that these are one of the first canon books I chose to read. Um, and I think just reading this book made me have so much more appreciation for him as a character. Just being able to understand how his mind works and um, how he's, you know, very um, skilled in military and tactical um, sort of scenarios. But when it comes to anything political and sort of like human relation, he sort of struggles quite a bit. Like he's good at reading people, but he. Can't on an emotional level, but quite can't quite understand them from like a political sense, and he just doesn't really understand how Coruscant and the imperial sort of like political structure works. Um, And you know, his his relationship with Eli Vanto throughout this book, I think, is phenomenal in the sense of you know he's teaching Eli so much, but Eli is also teaching him a huge amount about what is going on behind the scenes in the Empire. And I think just like learning that much about a character and also the aspect of like the racism that Thrawn faces in the book because he's a non-human does make you root for him even more because it's like no one in the empire wants to see him succeed. They all want to see him fail because he's a chiss and because he's a non-human. And like that is a really interesting factor of like you want him to succeed because he's the underdog. I mean, it's it's weird because he's the underdog, but he's also not because he's just way smarter than everyone in the room. But it's those sort of like that duality of him being the underdog, but being way too, way much better than everyone. And that whole like elitist social hierarchy of imperial politics, which this book explores in immense detail. Um, I just think sort of lends itself really well to like rooting for Thrawn as, as the protagonist. And I think before we jump into some of the other characters, I think there's definitely some moments in the in the story that I, I definitely want to sort of bring up and just appreciate in terms of Thrawn's military successes. I don't know if you've got any specific ones that you want to um, throw in there before I throw in a couple of just moments when you were like, damn, Thrawn, be good at that tactic
1: stuff. Uh, no, you, you go for it. I haven't got any specific ones up. Uh. I'm sure yours will be. Yours will probably be the ones I've mentioned anyway, and we can we can go into detail there. I think the the um
0: there's there's a couple that like I I loved, and I think the the first one was the this the very first run in with Night Swan, or I think it was he was called Signy. Back then, or Sinji, or um, on the the Dromedar ship, and there was a lot going on there to do with you know them t- being taken, captured. But the moment which got me particularly gassed was when Thrawn used the um, was it a vulture droid or buzz droids? Um, in the, he had like the control four inside his insignia plaque on his um, Imperial. Um, uniform and that I just remember that scene really vividly and I I thought that was a really cool moment of seeing like how like cunning and um like how many steps ahead for is of everyone else in a scenario and um yeah I particularly enjoyed that moment
1: yeah I know that one that one was good and as you say I think that was it was one of the first interactions you had with a nice one and I think it was just again like one of the I think was one of the first interactions we see in the whole book was his um pre-planning and you know yeah being like a few steps ahead and everyone else has really like shined on um and like brought to the forefront for like the pr- protagonist's success i suppose um yeah it was a, a genius move and it's, it's always it's always nice to see something like i think there's really it was written really well as well because like it kind of happened and then like once the the um like actions over thorn then has to like explain it to like eli and some of the other characters which i think was just some of the best bits for the book for me when he's like staying there kind of like how explaining how he's like four steps ahead of everyone else i found that just felt really interesting
0: yeah yeah and i think the the other moment which was a particular highlight for me was the i can't remember what the planet was called was it called cypher um where there was sort of like the two clans, the humans and the non-humans that were sort of like warring with each other. And it ended up all being about um, this like pre-spice that was in the, in the field and Thrawn sort of set up this sort of elaborate ambush um, just because he figured out exactly who on each side was the, the the ones causing trouble. And he sent them off on wild goose goose chases the wrong way. So he'd only have a small group of them left at the field and then he positioned himself in the right place, so Eli could stun four of them at once. I just thought it was a it was a really awesome scene. And then obviously the the chapter concludes with him getting um, an imperial pilot to fly really low over the field to like scan where all the pre spice was, so they could destroy it from above with turbo lasers. I just thought there was just so much like it, sort of wit, uh, sort of intelligence and quick wit going on with him, and I just yeah, I, I love that scene a lot and it just goes to show how damn smart this boy is.
1: Yeah, 100% that was actually a really good scene uh, or chapter in the book and I really like the points where he like studies like a culture's art and then works out like their tactics from that and stuff. I think that's like really clever when he then goes to explain it onto other characters exactly how he's like worked something out from just like mm. their art and stuff. I think that's that's really clever um, and yeah, the turbo laser the shooting it down with the turbo lasers. Uh, I thought it was a, a, a funny move. And then like how is he explaining it to the leader of that um tribe afterwards? It was just, just like obviously the guy was pissed and the guy had every right to be pissed. He just like bombed his his like, corn cornfields or whatever. And and Thrawn's just like completely mugged him off by being like, well, you know, I've saved you one thing. And he's like, well what, you haven't saved my crops or anything. He's like, well I've saved your lives. And the guy's like, all right, fair enough. Not happy about <laughs> it, but you know you know Thrawn's right. <laughs>
0: Every time he uses one of these um, unorthodox methods of like solving a problem, he just ends up in front of high command, them trying to boot him out of the Empire again, but they just never can because they can't question his results because he wins every time.
1: Yeah, I, I think this goes just, just to show that everyone else in the Empire and uh, like Thrawn's um, enemies, uh, they're playing checkers, but Thrawn's playing chess.
0: Absolutely. He's always a thousand steps ahead um, with the exception. The only person that sort of manages to get the better of him is, is knights one in this book, which is why he acts as like a really perfect antagonist to Thrawn because he is sort of his equal on the opposite side of the war in the sense of, um you know, being sort of 10 steps ahead and trying to, Outwit and out deduce people, um, which is why I love sort of the back and forth between those two in this book. I think he's a a good antagonist to to he's the the Moriarty to Thrones Sherlock
1: definitely. Yeah, I was just thinking of that analogy actually because yeah, they do they they bounce off each other so well, and uh, especially their conversation at the end of the book, um just whether they have like a direct conversation about you know their motivations and like what's right, what's wrong. Um, and like how they how they figure stuff out. And it's, you know, like Thrawn is well aware about when uh, nightswan was directly like trying to um like entice him into things. And when obviously Nightspawn was just trying to get on with bits and pieces for like his um his motivations and stuff. I thought that was like really clever that Thrawn's able to like <clears throat> see through Night Swan at times um mm-hmm. and notice yeah. when he's like playing with him and stuff. I think that just showed like the extra depth of Thrawn's um intelligence there. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, and to use your chess analogy, the Knight's nice one was the only other person in this book who was actually playing chess with Thrawn. <laughs> the rest of them were all playing checkers. Those two were the only two actually playing chess. And it was like a constant back and forth. But uh Thrawn eventually got the checkmate.
1: Yeah, I mean, Thrawn eventually got the checkmate by basically just being a bit dick, <laughs> to be honest, and like using his um his opponent's good nature against him which I think to be fair was probably mm. the only reason he was ever going to win I think they were like biting heads too much and like they were two equal opponents it was only, yeah. um, only Thrawn being a bit ruthless that led him to led him to the victory there
0: yeah and uh, I think that's sort of one of the moments in the book where I was like wait a minute this Night's one is literally a rebel, isn't he? I think it's it took me a while to just like make all the connections. I remember the first time I read it of like, is he a smuggler? Is he a pirate? Is he just a bit of sort of like a troublemaker, a bit of a hand solo type? And then by the end, you're like, oh, okay, so he is literally just a straight up rebel leader who is trying to free the galaxy from the imperial rule these are the people that we usually root for this is like Leia, this is like Bail Organa this is like Hera Dula. these are the people we usually root for and we've been rooting against him this whole book <laughs> which is a like really interesting spin on that whole um, sort of typical good versus evil Star Wars theme that we know and love
1: but turned completely upside down yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it took me a while to work out that Night Swan was, was yeah, like, just a straight up rebel because throughout the book, he's kind of painted as just like a smuggler and he's basically just, like, trying to steal or, like, um, yeah, just, like, steal resources from the Empire or, like, hinder their um, mining operations and resources gathering sort of thing um, just to basically make a profit on it. But, yeah, as the book comes more to a close, yeah, it's basically, obviously, again, that final conversation between Thrawn and Night Swan. I find that it's basically yeah, just he obviously the empire is basically just like hoarding goods and making large profits off it, or like you know stealing, basically stealing from um, family-owned mines and stuff to get as much um, resources as possible. And what was the, what was the metal they were farming? They were absolutely like cane dunium. Or, dunium. dunium for the Death Star. Yeah, yeah. And I mean. There were so much. There were so many like political points and stuff about like how they were going about it. I think you know there was um, wasn't there points when it was like Night Swan wanted the Imperials to own the mines because it was easier to steal from and stuff. It was like Jesus, like the, the absolute depth <laughs> yeah. of like the, this game of chess here between the two of them is mental. Like it's oh, so yeah. so cleverly written.
0: Yeah, it's, it's you know. I think it's interesting you keep on coming back to that same conversation. I think that probably is one of my favorite chapters in the entire book because you, everything comes full circle of like why Knights One has been doing everything he's been doing this entire book, and it's essentially all tied to the Death Star and him getting whiff of something going on, something being built out in. The secret part of space and what on earth is it and obviously there's some a lot of the interesting stuff stuff to do with like the you know he was part of the mining guilds and he was he sort of defected from the mining guilds and he wanted to represent people whose livelihoods were getting ripped away from them by the empire but then it turned into something much deeper but then also thrown his entire way through the empire was trying to figure out why the empire needed all this dunium what it was that they were building and I think that final like conversation between the two of them, when both them and the reader are like, yeah, they're both trying to stop the Death Star, <laughs> um, was like a really interesting sort of climax to the the whole story. And it like, made you quite, like, it was the chapter where you were suddenly like, yeah, Night Swan's the good guy. Like, we should be, this book should be called Night Swan. We should be supporting him. Um, and I think obviously the book ends with that conversation where um, Thrawn and the emperor, like when Thrawn is basically like, tell me about the death star and then Lord Vader walks out. Um, But, you know, clearly Thrawn has figured out what this is, and well, starting to figure out at least what it is. And in his mind, he thinks it's a colossal waste of time and resources. Um, but that, that's his reason for being against it, not the fact that it can literally murder billions in a second. His thing is, oh, it's just a colossal waste of resources. Why would you make something that can only deal with one planet when a fleet can deal with thousands? Um, but then Nights One is like, yeah, this this thing's gonna, you know, destroy innocent lives and I want to put a stop to it sort of thing. So I think that was a quite an interesting um climactic conversation between the two of them and just seeing the rebellion through the eyes of the, em- the Empire and seeing how they see the rebels as just like insurgents, troublemakers, when really they're just, as we know them, like innocent people trying to fight for freedom. And then Knights One in particular is this guy trying to stop the Empire from building a super planet killing weapon, but he... <laughs> For the majority of this book is like the antagonist, so it's just a very smart and interesting way of presenting the whole thing. And I've got to take my hat off to to Timothy Zahn for just managing to craft a story in that way. It's really, really cool.
1: Yeah, and then that whole <clears throat> point of like Thrawn being uh, disagreeing with the building of the Death Star for the throwaway of resources, and obviously then um, leads quite well into Rebels as well because um, he wanted to build new TIE fighters, didn't he, in Rebels, instead of, like, him and... um, Yep. The, mm-hmm. Oh, I can't remember the, the guy's name from um Rogue Krennic. One. It was, like, Krennic. Yeah, yeah it was like, them two were, like, pitching for their ideas, weren't they? So Krennic had the Death Star, and Thrawn had his... Uh, TIE defenders. TIE, yeah. TIE yeah. defenders. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that leads in quite well. Because I suppose, you know, if you take as much Doom, and, or Doom, meaning what it was called, to build the Death Star, imagine how many of those TIE defenders you could have built with that.
0: Yeah, how many more you know, superstar destroyers or whatever you could have built. You can sort of see Thrawn's point of view, but he's also someone who doesn't massively believe in unnecessary casualties, but is also the person who bombarded Lothar from the, this from space. So, uh, you know, he comes and goes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, I really like, you know, what I actually really like in this book as well. It's just, um, Thrawn's absolute, like, just full on he was like say whatever he wants to the emperor sort of thing like there's no way like no normal person is walking into the emperor's throne room and just being like so tell me about your death star like because you just go in and just assume that if you did that you'd just be dead instantly Is the only man brave enough to go in and be like this super secret thing you've been going on about um yeah i know about it and it sounds stupid to me
0: (laughs) yeah no i i love the two chapters with like at the beginning of the book and the end of the book with a conversation between Thrawn and the Emperor are some of my favorite like scenes in Star Wars like I would love them to make that in live action because like you're right like no one in Star Wars has ever spoken to the Emperor like that and Thrawn just wanders in he's like yeah so your Death Star thing I'd like to know about it
1: yeah and I was like I remember reading that first chapter he meets the Emperor um and obviously just like name drops Anakin Skywalker and when I read it I was like Jesus man this this guy's like. This guy's got some balls on him, but then I was just i was sitting there thinking, like, oh, actually, he's just like name dropped Anakin, he doesn't know anything about like Vader or anything like that. So I was like, he's just trying to like show off, he's got some friends in the Emperor's favor. But then again, now I've said that, like, how I haven't actually read the book that where Anakin and Thrawn hang out, so it might be in there, but like, how did Thrawn know that like Anakin was one of uh Palpatine's, like, I don't know, like, what's he, what's he calling him, like. Uh, resources or something, they cause so specifically the Emperor's like Jedi, I suppose he kind of mm. refers to him as, as, as yeah. opposed to like for the order sort of thing.
0: Yeah, the, the next book, um, Alliances, which is the, the follow up to this, really goes into detail on that whole meeting between Anakin and Thrawn. So it is very much explained in the next book. Um, it's a really interesting book where there's like two concurrent storylines, one with Anakin. And Thrawn in, a cl- in the Clone Wars, and one like set after the end of this book with Thrawn and Vader having to work together, and that sort of juxtaposition between the two is a—it's a, it's a really cool book, to be honest.
1: Yeah, no, and After I have to get that on order, give that a read because that actually sounds like really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I love the ending where just Vader walks out, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Emperor's like, yeah, you two should probably meet each other." Which, just for like me being um, like my two favorite villains in all of Star Wars, is Vader and Thrawn. It's just like having the two of them just say, You're right, mate, how you doing? (laughs) It was just really satisfying.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, obviously, and then obviously at that point, uh, Thrawn doesn't know that Vader's Anakin. Um, He obviously works out later. But then Vader's obviously standing there and being like, I recognize this blue fella.
0: No, I've yeah.
1: seen you before. <laughs> yeah, because
0: isn't the line of dialogue Vader says it's like, oh yes, nice to finally meet you. You're like you can tell that yeah. Vader's been like heavily sarcastic there. He's like, damn it, I know this guy. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's, uh, it's like, yeah, the Emperor's line of nice to you two to finally meet. but bit Vader's just standing there, giving them the side eye like, right, yeah, okay, mate.
0: <laughs> yeah, because Emperor knows as well. So Emperor's like, oh yeah, yeah. you guys are finally meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old palps, just uh just Playing, playing the long game with everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an inside joke between him and Vader. Uh, probably a bit of a laugh about it when uh, Thrawn left. <laughs> it was just all lads. That's just
0: <laughs> that was a good one, Palps. You're you're a real joker. <laughs> um, should we jump on to? So we sort of covered a lot about Thrawn, and then obviously we covered a lot about sort of Nights One and the Rebellion and the Death Star. So. I think there's just a few other bits that we can touch on, which won't be necessarily as in-detailed as these bits, but I kind of wanted to briefly talk about the second main character to this book, um, Eli Vanto. Um, what did you... I mean, obviously this is a brand-new character in this book. He hasn't appeared before, so it's unlike Thrawn and Price, who we had a bit of pre-existing knowledge about, this is a brand-new character. What were your thoughts on young Eli Vanto?
1: Oh, I actually really liked him as a character. I mean, I suppose this is going to be another, like, Sherlock reference, but he's definitely just like the Watson, isn't he? Like, the little sidekick mm-hmm. that, is, mm-hmm. that is, like, learning along, that is, like, picking up things from, from obviously, the, the main star, Thrawn. Um, And like, as the book, as he obviously spends years with Thrawn throughout the book, you can kind of see him grow as a character uh, and become, like, you know, picks up things from Sauron, like, notices tactics, you know, reads people a bit better um, from that when we first see him. I I really liked his his character development of being like someone in the I can't remember what he was doing in the academy, like supply supply stuff. Yeah, he wanted to be a supply officer. I think that was the title, yeah. Yeah, so go some like, yeah, supply officer and get stuck being Thrawn's like assistant for the god knows how many years. I don't actually know what the the time difference is, but a good lot, I'd say at least like five years maybe. Get stuck being Thrawn's like personal assistant to them eventually getting getting the recognition he deserves from my boy justice from my boy Because
0: Yeah. He goes on know, quite he, a journey, doesn't
1: he? Yeah, it's like everything Thrawn does, you know, I'm sure he couldn't have done without uh, having Eli and especially Thrawn especially couldn't have navigated the the world, like the political world of the, the Imperial Army and like just the everyday interactions you have to have with people. Like Thrawn would have been absolutely like left out in the dark without Eli on that sort of stuff. So, without Eli, Thrawn, while might be like the most intelligent person in the in the um, in the Empire. I don't think he would have got as far. Obviously, not being able to speak certain words and um, just like interact with people. So, Eli mm. is the the silent hero.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think he's a really interesting character because he's like your unlikely hero of the story. Like, obviously, Thrawn, we know, is a bit of an underdog because of the the racism in Imperial culture and that sort of thing. But ultimately, he's incredibly skilled, incredibly good at everything he does, and he wins a lot, and he's the hero of the book. But Eli fits that sort of the unlikely hero, as he said, like the silent hero. He is, and even Thrawn admits it at the end of the book, like, both in the conversation he has, I can't remember if it's with Price on Night's One, but also like his inner monologue in like the epilogue when he's talking about friendship, that like he admits that like Eli has become this close friend and confidant of his and that his like skill and his like advice and his friendship was like most, a lot of the reason why Thrawn ended up being so successful. Um, So I think it's nice that like Thrawn acknowledged that as well as like the reader, because as you read it, you're just like, yeah, Eli is sort of carrying him in the sense of, you know, Thrawn didn't even speak basic when we meet him at the beginning of the the book. And Eli sort of teaches him how to communicate and um, teaches him a lot about imperial culture and all that sort of stuff. But I think the thing I really liked about him was that when he started off, he had like no interest in sort of, being a warrior he just wanted to you know be a supply officer. so he just wanted to make sure that I know, mean, like crates of Melu runs got from lathol to Tatooine you know he had no interest in you know being a warrior and then he meets Thrawn and his whole life is like flipped upside down this whole career path he's got laid out in front of him is just essentially ruined but he just like takes it in his stride and by the end of the book like he has that comment of like, this is sort of where I was supposed to be the whole time. Like this was where my service to the empire was needed. Um, And he sort of realizes the sort of his own strengths and his own purpose. And, you know, he is rewarded eventually after they deal with that moth Gaddy or whatever his name was. Um, He's given the promotions he deserves. I think he's, is he either captain or commander by the end of the book? So he's, you know, he's given his dues and um yeah, I just, Uh, I think he's a really sort of relatable character. He sort of feels like the, uh, you know, when you're reading the book, he feels like how you would react if you just had to follow through on everywhere around and just watch this like blue Sherlock Holmes, just constantly dominate every tactical situation. So I think he was a really good character to have as part of the story. Very relatable. And um, yeah, it was definitely had a really satisfying character arc.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um. I don't actually. Obviously, I've read the next book. Does he appear in the next book? Because I think he gets quite an interesting like epilogue at the end there. I want. I really, I'm really excited to see where that goes. If it, yeah, if it does go anywhere,
0: he, he sits out the next book, but then he comes back in the final one of the trilogy. Um, he yeah. So at, right at the end of the book, he goes off and joins the Chist Defense Fleet. Um, and we don't really learn why Thrawn sent him off to do this or anything until the third book. So it is interesting, and uh, yeah, we meet um Admiral Aralani, who is you will soon find out, John, she's the chiss baddie. She 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 be a baddie, not in the evil sense, but in a, in the other sense of the word baddie. Oh
1: alright. <laughs> okay. Uh, but
0: yeah. Yeah he, he he comes back in the third book and he does have a really interesting storyline. Um so yeah you just have to wait to find out what happens to him, John. Oh
1: yeah. I mean I'm looking forward to reading more about him because yeah he, I think he did have a very deserved character development and yeah, it's, it's nice to see that he he um he's happy with very he ends up at the end of the book because obviously as as we've just mentioned you know he spent a lot of time just being like at the wrong side being like his his assistant sort of thing so uh it's nice that he got his rewards and it's nice that he actually wanted them by the end as well instead of just wanting to go back to be like a supply officer he was happy with his um promotions to I think it is Commander, you know, like running his own fleet, um, I'm sure, and, and stuff like that. So I'm glad that he he rose through the ranks and he he, he got to where he wanted to be in the end because he was mm-hmm. he spent a lot of the book being really pissed off and like um, just taking it, I suppose. You know, he, he, got, he got taken off what he wanted to do and he got stuck, you know, working under Thrawn and he was very pissed off at a lot of the book but like didn't say anything about it to Thrawn and just kind of like accepted it and took it on the chin. So I'm glad he, he got his just desserts and is happy where he ended up.
0: Yeah. I think it, it was interesting because he was very like simultaneously like resentful of Thrawn, but in like utter admiration of him as well. He was like, he would always be saying to people like Thrawn is the greatest military leader in the Imperial Navy. And, you know, he is the future of the Imperial Navy, but also every time Thrawn gets promoted and he doesn't, he's just like more and more resentful that this is now his life because he was the only person on the mission at the beginning who spoke Cybisti. So it's like the, the poor guy, but then, you know, he comes around on realizing that his position is where he's, is. you know, he's, he's serving the empire in a good way when he gets his promotions and realizes how much Thrawn has sort of been fighting for him without realizing it. I think it's, um yeah, it's a really good, really good story. And, yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of Eli Vanto. I think he's a, a really, really interesting character in a book, which is where the title of the book is thrawn, a phenomenally interesting character. The fact that they can have another character like Eli be as interesting, I think is a, a big success. And um, I he's another character that I hope to one day see in live action because
1: he's cool. Yeah, me too, actually. I think that'd be, re- be really interesting to see him <clears throat> see him come back in live action um, alongside. Thrawn, or uh, or whoever in the star wars universe you never know or you might pop up i think one more one more character that we definitely
0: need to talk about is uh is Arinda price governor price of lathol um i think we briefly mentioned her earlier on this was this was definitely something that surprised me i mean were you i'll just quickly throw it over to you were you surprised when that name appeared in like one of the early chapters of the book
1: uh, yes, I was, but I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't realise who she was until Tarkin actually calls her Governor Price, and I was like, oh, shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I googled it, I remember the first time I read it, I, I was like, Price, I kind of recognize that, so I googled Arinda Price, and I was like, oh, that's the Governor, that's the Governor, of Letho. oh yeah, I don't like her.
1: <laughs> yeah, as I read the book, I... Right? Obviously, like when you're reading like a book and you got like such characters in your head, like you just create like a picture of like whatever a character looks like. And I just picked like the most like basic, just like most random looking woman in my head, and I was like, right, that's that's this woman. Whenever she was in the scenes, I was like, this is what I was picturing. And then obviously, talking, then it says Governor no Price, and I was like, oh yeah, that's like one of the deadest trim, the dead trim in, the, <laughs> in Rebels. I was like, oh yeah, now I remember.
0: Yeah. Um, so, what did you think of of her inclusion in the book and and her storyline? Because it's a in a similar way to Thron's is an origin story to Rebels. It's a really long spanning career of promotions and demotions and political um, intrigue and that sort of thing. Did you did you think it was it was worthy of being in this book?
1: Yeah, I did actually, and that's I mean, obviously, as you said earlier, it does. It helps having this character and to then flow into into rebels um, later on in the book. But I mean, when that I first started reading this book of her character, I actually like really liked her. I thought she was like a sassy, you know, like, go again woman, you know, going up the ranks in the political world and moving to Coruscant and all that jazz. And I was like, Oh, go on, girl, you know, you you get that money, you you know, you rise those ranks. Um and then obviously when she fell off and um had to go work at that, like, I don't know, like job centre sort of place. Um, again, I felt, like, really bad for her. I was like, oh, no, like, she's worked so hard. She's getting, like, played by the political elites of Coruscant. Um, and then, you know, I was I was all up there for her ups and downs. I was I was loving her journey of, like, rising the ranks back up and all that sort of stuff and how she was eventually started playing the, um, what was that guy's name, Moff Giff or something? Gaddy. Um, Moff Gaddy, I think. Yeah, she, she played him at his own game, and like he lost in the end. And I was like, all, all well up for it until Tarkin said Governor Price, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck. I was like, I hate this woman. <laughs> but I've been enjoying her yeah. story this whole book, and now I'm just like, oh, I actually don't like you anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that was the relationship that I had with it as well, in the sense that I think Arinda Price and Governor Price, I always see as two. Different characters because I think Aranda Price, you know, as, as everything you were saying, this is someone who's sort of a little bit beaten down by the system, but has high ambitions, is going to work her socks off to, you know, get to the top of political power um, and is going to earn it. And, you know, there's everything she does sort of with Senator Ranking and, you know, losing her job, but then coming back and, you know, the bit where she gets ambushed by the sort of criminals and you get really worried about her and you're like oh no don't like not not price um but then she goes through the journey that i think we as a reader go through of like by the end of the book she becomes this like person that will none of us like in rebels of this like nasty vindictive um, only cares about herself and her own position. Um, you know, In this ultimate act at the end where she just blows up this entire like settlement with the shield still on. So it just contains the explosion and does like double the damage, not because it's a military tactical um, opportunity, but because it covers her own skin because she killed an ISB agent. So I think that was, re- I think the reason why I just, I loved this like storyline is because it took us on a journey of like really liking a character, watching them get more and more powerful, watching them become someone who we don't like. And then at the end of the book, making us realize why we don't like them in Rebels. Um, And I think the character lines up perfectly and it's quite nice. You know, when you see her now in Rebels, it's like she used to be a nice plucky young woman who was ready to take on the world. And now she's just an evil sort of corrupt politician how good people can turn sour
1: <laughs> yeah 100 i mean like when she was like living in coruscant with her um <clears throat> with her two like flatmates and stuff like i was i was fully enjoying like the actual like drama of like um coruscant life i suppose you know when she was like trying to get into that party with all the politicians so i, like, I would genuinely sit and read a book about this or so like what should i can imagine it being like a coruscant like Drama, you know, like Coronation Street, but like Coruscant, something like that. Like, I was fully up, I was fully enjoying myself and, uh, like, in into the like the social side of like what they were going up to. You know, she was like, there's times when she, you know, her friend was trying to set her up on, on a date with some fella um, from like uh, the same dojo as her housemate. And I was like, oh, this is that really interesting. I actually really like this character. Yeah. And, then, and as you said, like as the book went on, she gets more and more bitter and yeah selfish only caring about herself is uh it was when she like threw her housemates um under the bus i can't remember what their names are it's so it's terrible of me uh
0: i think it was a driller was one of them and yeah i don't know how to pronounce the other name but it was like Ju- jar or do something like that i think with the yeah. names
1: <clears throat> when she got them arrested i was just like yeah i was a bit harsh like, these are your mates <laughs> You know, one of them gave you a job, and the other one gave you a place to live for years. And just because, you know, they didn't even really do her any harm. They were just like trying to take down the empire. Imperial like, traitors—that's what they were, John. On her behalf, like, you no, know, they were trying to take down the emperor because of how the empire treated her. And then she gets—they get thrown in jail. I was like, all right, mm. fair enough. See how you treat your friends. Yeah,
0: I think it's really interesting that you brought up all that stuff about like seeing life on Coruscant from like a social point of view but like a political point of view as well I think that was one of the things I took away from this book because we learn obviously through Thrawn and Vanto learn so much about the imperial navy and the structure of the navy and the academy and the having friends in high places helping you get through the academy and all that sort of stuff but then this really teaches us a lot about like Coruscant society which is really really interesting and like I know we already knew this but like uh, the further let down the levels you get the more likely you are to get like sort of beaten up by thugs like I just thought that was a really cool reminder of just the way Coruscant works um but yeah all the political stuff I just found so interesting like the way that she played <clears throat> Moth Gaddy, you know by using Tarkin I mean anytime Tarkin pops up in anything Star Wars I'm like yes come on not because I like Tarkin but just because Tarkin's brilliant as a character and a bad guy um but i thought the the um advocacy group that she worked for the Higher Skies, i thought they were really interested this idea that within the imperial senate which <clears throat> obviously we know that like the empire is this sort of totalitarian government but it still had the senate up literally up until a new hope until um the emperor dissolved the senate so the senate still existed and you had these groups who were like pressuring for the senators and the governors to like pass different things through law and stuff like that, which I thought was really interesting. But the fact that not only was this advocacy group secretly gathering data on politicians and trying to support insurgency and the rebellion, but also Night Swan, the main villain of this story had his hand in the group as well. So it like really nicely tied those two stories together and yeah, the bit in the dojo I thought was savage. Like she just rocks up with Colonel Yularen, um, who is a character that we know quite well, obviously from his time in the Clone Wars, but also he pops up in a new hope as well. Wanders up with Yularen and Thrawn and gets her friends arrested. And because Thrawn had that little um fight with the the like the, the cat lady who owns the dojo, not she didn't get arrested because he figured out she didn't know anything. <clears throat> I just thought all the The machinations and political intrigue of everything that was going on with Coruscant with Price was, I just found it really, really interesting. I completely agree with you. Like I could watch an entire series of just like political drama on Coruscant because it was just like, not only was it really, really fascinating, but Timothy Zahn found a way to not just make it like a side plot, like it ended up tying into the story like in a pretty integral way. And you didn't quite realise how much it was doing that until like deep into the book. And then obviously in the concluding chapters in this sort of insurgency on this planet where <clears throat> Price is sent in to gather some intel and then ends up you know blowing up loads of innocent civilians. And there's no proof that you can, Thrawn has no proof to be able to stick it on her, even though he knows she did it. Um, which makes, puts a bit more context around the relationship that you see between the two of them and rebels of them clearly not really liking each other, but being stuck working with one another. So I just think the whole thing was, I think it was um, the first time I read it, I was surprised at the character's inclusion. I was like, okay, well this, this feels like they're just trying to do a, a side story for another rebels character. But when you actually finish the book you're like yeah she was a really in- integral part of the plot and gave a lot of context and background for so much stuff that was going on so yeah gets uh gets my seal of approval
1: yeah definitely it did and as you said it did that like, tie in really well together like the two stories um ran on a parallel like so well together and then intersected just i think at just the right time in the book to to um yeah explain like one their relationship in rebels and then two just like why their plots were running like parallel throughout the whole, throughout the whole book. Like they could have quite easily, um, like the a lesser writer, I suppose, could have quite easily like intersected them at the wrong times and made it like split the characters too much. Like make it too boring or make it like too confusing. But no, I think, uh, Timothy did an excellent job of intersecting them at just the right times. And I think there was times when they, um, like halfway through the book, when uh, governor price and it's like met, um, Obviously, they met towards the beginning of the book at the, at the party, just had like a brief conversation, which then led to um, Price reaching out to Thrawn at later on in the book, to them eventually, you know, working a bit more side and side, hand in hand, once she's the governor and Thrawn's um, has taken over control of like the military operations in the, like, the the Thaw area, like airspace or space sector sort of things. So I think it was, yeah, it was very cleverly um, combined by Timothy. And I think, yeah. It did a great job to make both stories really interesting. I mean, as you said with um, earlier, like you had uh, you have a character that's like thrown in this book, who's obviously like one of the most interesting characters in Star Wars for a lot of people. So to have both these stories run in parallel and then being almost like equally as entertaining in this book, cause I think it's a it's a great accomplishment.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think oftentimes in books there can be like the the storylines or like the chapter POVs that you get excited about reading. And then there's the ones that you're just like, Oh, let's just read this one quickly and get back to the cool stuff. Um, But luckily I can't think of that many of them in Star Wars books, but I can certainly think of them in some of the other books I've read in the past, but it was definitely one of the situations where when I got to a chapter and it said like a render price, I didn't think, Oh, we've got another price chapter. I'm going to have to wait to get back to Thrawn. I was actually like, interested as to what was going on because I really enjoyed and engaged with that storyline. So I think that's a tough thing to do when your main character is Thrawn, but you know, that just goes to show how well-written Price is part of the story is that you didn't find yourself, particularly myself is like a huge Thrawn th- fan thinking, oh, come on, can we just get back to Thrawn now? Like I was actually just like really enjoying the chapters and actually getting quite excited about just learning more about Coruscant and Imperial politics.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, yeah, I agree. Like, the, the, I really like the politics side of this, uh, these books as well, <clears throat> which obviously came more through price than um talk to, than uh, So again, it just goes to show that people who don't think politics belongs in Star Wars, you're wrong because it was very entertaining in this book and it, it lended itself very nicely to the story being told.
0: Yeah, and it definitely gives a lot of wider context of like, we know what politics were like in the pre era, really obviously, we know the lack of politics in the original trilogy purely because there was no Senate left, but this sort of like middle era between bridging the two, we don't have a huge idea of what the political landscape looked like and books like this really give you that like much needed context and actually understanding how both the empire as a military identity and the empire as a political entity operated, and I just thought, just seeing that play out on screen was on screen on page <laughs> was uh, was really really interesting.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, anything I think that adds, um, like adds to the world around you in Star Wars, I think is is very good. Obviously, it's it's very it's obviously the main entertainment of the book is like the characters, like their story and stuff. But things that can add. You know, background details that just help to build the world, um, such as like the political details in this book, um, and like, other bits like that. I think are, are always a very welcome addition to any any Star Wars material that that I um, I consume. So yeah, another fantastic, fantastic background additions from this book as as a uh, as a whole.
0: Yeah, yeah, you definitely learn so much about the law in this book. You know, I think even just like learning about imperial. Um, like the ranks in the navy and you know this book a lot of the time says typically how long it takes to get from one rank to the other and explains why Thrawn gets there so much quicker <clears throat> how like the whole court martialing system works I mean there's the the really interesting part of the book where Thrawn is under the command of I can't remember what the guy's name was was it Commander Chino something like that and basic and there's another admiral elsewhere who's like this really like. Cocky thinks he's the best, but is actually useless. Admiral and thrawn sort of is allowed to take control and helps to win the battle in a really unorthodox way. And like this, Admiral basically wants Thron's head, but can't get thrawn's head, so basically sends thrawn's superior into early retirement. And there's that interesting scene where he's like, "Oh, it was worth taking the fall for you because you're like you're the future of the Empire. You're what you're what's going to help the Empire." like survive long into the future and I think seeing all that sort of like military machinations of like you know Thrawn rising through the ranks so quickly and, and what the ranks actually are but also the way that politics ties into the military so strongly obviously with someone like Tarkin if you've got Tarkin on your side you know you can go a long way if you've got the emperor on your side you can go a long way um if you've got someone like the Ice, with the Colonel yularan in the Ice you can go a long way. So I think seeing all of that play out and learning more about the way that the Imperial Navy is actually run in the in the in the universe, I think is yeah one of the aspects of this book that again just found like so fascinating.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. The um, I thought that was really interesting as well. Actually, like one, yeah, obviously like the rankings and how like how long it usually takes, and then what Thrawn was doing. I suppose that makes Thrawn seem even more impressive, and then. Um yeah, like with I think it was that like commander Chino or something like that. It was called, cool. And like um there was a really interesting conversation between Thrawn and like uh, uh um Ellie after that um about Thrawn didn't understand like why Chino did that. Um and like yeah, he didn't understand like the political political pull that some people had in the military and stuff. So I think that was a that was a really interesting conversation. Um again to show like where Thrawn kind of fell down. With like understanding the imperial politi- t- politics side, I think uh, Ellie just said to him like, "You will rise through the ranks, but you're going to bring like a lot of bodies with you. Like people will want to yeah, either yeah. take you down, and others, uh, some will want to take you down. And others will like happily fall fall on the sword like for you because of how impressive you are." Which was like obviously that was a prime example of that. So I thought that was a really interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we could probably just continue talking about this for hours on end, but we won't. Um, is there anything specific you'd you'd like to add or um, mention before we before we sort of round up?
1: No, no, I'm good. As I said, as you said, I think we could be it for hours. So if I, st- if I started now, I won't stop.
0: Um, so yeah, I think overall conclusions. Um, I mean, I. I continue to be as big a fan of this book as I was the first time around as I am the second. So I'm, I'm, I was very excited to see us, you know, when we did our little vote for what a book club was, I was excited that it was Thrawn because I think it's a fantastic book. It's still one of my favorites. I think just the way it's written, the characterization, what you learn about Thrawn and loads of the other characters, the empire itself is really, really interesting. So, um, yeah, this is a fantastic book, and if you've gotten this far in the podcast and you haven't read it, go pick it up for yourself. It's definitely a worthwhile read, and um, you'll find a lot of enjoyment in it.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, I agree. Um, obviously, this is the first time I've read it, um, uh, so I was I was curious going in about about the how it would be, but I really enjoyed it, and it's, it's definitely a refreshing um, Star Wars book for me, like just how it was written and like a very like detailed and character driven story. Um so yeah, I, th- I thought it was very good. So just as Dan said, um I would definitely recommend picking it up. Obviously make sure you've got a lot of free time to read it because it is a girthy book and you will be there for for a while as you uh yeah. devour the pages because they just never seem to end.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah that that sort of concludes um this well, I would say this month, but it's ended up being two months. This this era of the podcasts book club, um, I'm thrown by Timothy Zahn. So if you want us at some point later down the line, obviously we've got more High Republic books coming out soon. So finding, you know, a spot to continue will be a bit tricky, but if you want us to continue the Thrawn trilogy at some point in our sort of book club reviews, let us know and we'll try our best to do so. Um I think we probably won't, um like, announce the next book club book immediately because I haven't had this conversation with you yet, John, but The Fallen Star, the next High Republic adult novel, comes out in, I think, like a month's time now. So I wouldn't say there's any point us trying to squeeze in another book before that. We may as well wait for the Fallen Star to come out and try and be like on it like a car bonnet when that book comes out. So we get the the book club episode out like a week or two after that book releases because that is I'm certainly incredibly excited for that book and I'm sure you are as well. So this isn't an official announcement, <laughs> but the next book club book will 99% chance be uh The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, the final High Republic novel of the first phase of the High Republic. So I'm sure our High Republic fans out there are excited for that. And so are we. So we can, uh, we can have that to look forward to next.
1: Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that. So yeah, that'll definitely be a a great book club episode. Yeah. If we can squeeze that in by the time, uh, like a week or two after it comes out, that'll be, that'll be a dream. Mm, Yeah. I think what I
0: might do is I might get the like ebook for like as soon as it comes out because the post on like publishing at the moment is being a nightmare and getting books out in time. So I might order my book and then just buy it as well as an ebook and just start reading it the day it comes out. So I can, so I can get stuck in straight away because I'm so impatient. I'm not going to be able to wait for that book.
1: Yeah. No, that's not a bad shout. I mean, yeah, book ordering at the moment have been a bit of an nightmare. There's
0: yeah.
1: a, a lack of paper in the world apparently. Yeah.
0: But hopefully at some point soon we'll come back to this trilogy because I certainly like really love the next book in this trilogy. I know John, so I know that John will really like the next book in this, but I think I think it's probably safe to say you'd you're quite excited to dive into that when you get a chance.
1: Yeah, 100%, I really want to dive into a uh, issue or volume 2, I suppose, of a uh, of the Thrawn trilogy.
0: Mhm. Right. <clears throat> so that was uh that about wraps up our episode. If you've enjoyed it and you want to um hear more from us, then um you can follow our podcast on whatever podcasting app you use. Um, subscribe like whatever it is that you do on your app. We post new episodes every week and we I think this is our fifth book club um, a, a episode of the year. Um, we tried to do them monthly, but it hasn't quite worked out because books take time and the two of us are busy outside of trying to do a podcast every week, but we'll try our best to do these um, episodes as much as we can, because it is really fun diving into these books and it seems to be that people enjoy it as well. So stay tuned for more of them. If you'd like, you can follow us on Instagram at life from Vader's castle, Twitter at Vader's castle pod, YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, life from Vader's castle. So yeah, let us, if you have any, comments feedback criticisms compliments for this episode um you can leave a review or message us on any of our social medias it'd be good to hear what our listeners are thinking and um that's all i've got left to say john do you want to wrap things up yeah thank you very much for listening
1: see you next week goodbye bye